it's a pleasure to come and share with you all this morning. And if you don't know me, my name's Hannah. I'm the assistant pastor here at Sutton Vineyard. I have a wonderful husband, Josh, and two small people. They're called Benji and Elodie. Uh, you may well see them charging around before and after the service. They've usually got a biscuit in their hand. Um, speaking of biscuits, I love cooking and I love baking alongside learning more about Jesus. Um, and before becoming a pastor here, I completed a theology degree and then a postgrad teaching qualification specialising in RE, which leads me nicely on to say that I am absolutely thrilled to be part of the preaching team and have the marvellous privilege of being a pastor here, learning more about Jesus and the Bible, amongst lots of other things. Um, I'm also able to spend time with people at their weddings when their new babies come into the world, when they finally find breakthrough in their personal lives, but also in weeping with those who are experiencing pain um, of separation, loss and trauma. Seeing God move in people's highs and in their lows um, forms part of my testimony and why I do what I do. So this morning, we will dive into an amazing encounter between a woman and Jesus that we read about in John's Gospel. Being a woman here on the team leading our church is something very special to me. I realise that this privilege has not always been a reality for women that are called into ministry. So if you're not a woman, don't fear. I'm not just talking to the women here. This story really is relevant to all of us. But because I am a woman, I'm going to look at it from a female perspective, just as a male speaker might look at a story about a man from a man's perspective. I just think it's really super important to identify where we're personally coming from when reading and digesting and sharing the Bible and then in suggesting applications for our own lives. So the story we're going to look at is in John's Gospel in chapter 4. And sometimes it can seem that the stories in the Bible, especially the stories of Jesus's life, are somehow less remembered and drawn upon than his teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount, or parables like the prodigal son or the parable of the talents. But the stories are there to teach us things just as much as the things Jesus said to the crowds. They are showing us how Jesus lived, how he treated people in different situations, facing different challenges in life, how he spoke to them, what he said to them and why he said those things and how that helps us to know what kinds of things Jesus would say to us in our own experiences in our lives. The stories are showing us about the nature and the character of God, who God is and what God's like through who Jesus was and what Jesus did. As Jesus said later in John's Gospel in chapter 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So when we see Jesus engaging with people in these stories, we're seeing how God engages with people and how he will engage with us when we find ourselves in similar situations. And the other thing to say about these stories is that none of them are included by accident. John said himself that there are many more stories that Jesus, that he could have included in his gospel. So in John 21, 25, it says Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that were written. So that's telling us, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, John was very intentional about the stories that he did include. He saw the ones that he chose as being 
really quite significant. The question is, why did he choose the ones that he did? And what are we supposed to learn from each story? How are we then meant to apply that to our own lives? What particular things is a story telling us about who God is and what he's like? Because that really is the single most important thing that Jesus came to show us. And we need to pay particular attention when we come across a story that would have sounded really unexpected to the original audience, as indeed so many of them were. A couple of examples would be the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son. Some of these stories and parables would have had their audience shocked, which we can easily miss when we read them 2,000 years later in our very, very different world. So those are the things that we're going to be looking out for. Right, let's get started. I'll be reading from John 4, starting at verse 1. It is quite a long passage, um, but it's really important that we read the whole thing. So please do stay with me. It's on the screen as well for you to follow along. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came, through, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must, wo- must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, 
called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And we'll jump quickly to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman sits in the book of John, quite close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You might know that in the chapter before, chapter 3, John gives us the story of Jesus talking to a man called Nicodemus, who was a super important Jewish ruler. He was someone who had been revered in the community, one of the super religious, as John's original audience would have known him. And then at the start of chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus talking to a woman whose situation was just about as far away as you can possibly get from Nicodemus. Not just because she was a woman, which we will come on to, but a Samaritan woman, a kind of quasi-Jewish sect that had long been despised by the Jewish community. Worse in many ways than the Gentiles, actually, because Samaritans had polluted the Jewish faith as they saw it. Calling a Jew a Samaritan was a big insult. And in John 8, the religious leaders actually called Jesus a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Samaritans were seen as a cult. They were heretics. They didn't believe the right things and they didn't worship in the right place. They didn't recognize the Jewish temple authorities in Jerusalem. And the Bible that they used was sort of like a cut-down version. Holy and religious Jews were told they should do, have nothing to do with the Samaritans because their uncleanness would actually contaminate the Jews. Um, it's not a p perfect comparison by any means, but a similar contrast today to help illustrate the differences might be between an evangelical Christian and a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. Uh, they have a similarity to Christianity on the surface, but they've kind of drifted away from Christian orthodoxy in some of their beliefs and practices and scriptures. So it's no surprise that Jesus would have spoken to and had a discussion with Nicodemus as a religious leader, but it would have been a huge surprise that he would reach out to a Samaritan, and especially a Samaritan woman. John's audience would have been shocked that Jesus would have even been in Samaria in the first place. You may have noticed that in verse 4, it said that he had to go through Samaria on his way back to Galilee. That isn't actually the case in a geographic sense. It was a shorter route to go through Samaria, but Jews would usually kind of always go the long way around to risk any contamination with Samaritans who would then make them unclean. So what John's probably telling us is that Jesus had to go through Samaria in the sense of feeling a prompting from the Holy Spirit to go that way, 
probably wondering if a divine encounter of some kind would happen while he was there. So Jesus deliberately going through Samaria would have been the first sort of massive shock to John's audience hearing this, especially shocking to those who were religious. And I don't know if you know, but Jesus did specialise in shocking the religious conservatives of his day. (laughs) The second massive shock would be that he'd actually engage in a conversation with a Samaritan, and not just any Samaritan, but a woman. You might have noticed that she's not given a name. Maybe that's because John didn't know her name. Maybe it was to further reinforce that Jesus was speaking with someone who was just seen as insignificant, a Samaritan woman. Now, in our world, men and women talk with each other all the time. We have business meetings, we socialise together in groups without too much thought at all. But this, it really wasn't the reality then. Speaking together and socialising together was not something men and women would do, and definitely not alone. So as I mentioned earlier, I completed a theology degree as an undergrad, and in my first year I had to take half religious studies modules. So in my kind of growing interest in other belief systems and faiths, I've just recently been enjoying learning more about different religions via the medium of TikTok. I follow a few women who are modern Orthodox Jews, mainly based in New York. And what I found completely fascinating is that gender separation within Judaism, and most particularly modern Orthodox Judaism, goes further than just sitting in different spots in the synagogue. Women and men celebrate separately at weddings. They swim separately. They dance separately. And that's in our 21st century world. But in the first century, they were more extremely separated. Men and women didn't interact with each other socially or religiously, and they certainly would not have had conversations alone if they were not married. So these are kind of like the really important features in the background to this story. Jesus is speaking to a woman alone. She's a Samaritan. And Jesus had gone out of his way to go to Samaria in the first place. For a Jewish rabbi to do these things would have been scandalous. Jews were supposed to have nothing to do with people like that. Not go out of their way to welcome people into the kingdom. Okay, so let me ask you guys a question. Just pop your hand up. Who has heard this story before today? Okay, and who's heard a sermon on this story before today? Okay, so most of us. I have as well, alongside reading lots of material in preparation for this talk. And there's what we might call a traditional reading about the woman and her situation and what the story is there to teach us about. So why don't we start with that? So the first thing we've probably heard is that she is a sexually immoral, promiscuous woman with a back catalogue of short-lived relationships hopping from one man to the next. And in verse 16, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So she's had no less than five previous husbands and she's currently living with a man that she's not married to. 
The next thing in this sort of traditional reading is that this checkered history of broken relationships is the reason why she's having to collect water during the heat of the day when there's no one else around. It must be because she's shunned by her community, by the other women who obviously want nothing to do with a sinful woman. They will have collected all their water early in the day, but this woman obviously wasn't welcome to join them because of her sin and because of her immorality. Otherwise, why on earth would she be out in the blazing sun at midday? And then maybe the final element in the traditional reading, the way that preachers and writers usually suggest we are to read this story, is how Jesus exposes her sinfulness and her promiscuous lifestyle. The fact that she's chosen to live in sin and not get married through a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. So in John 4, 18, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Although the text doesn't say this as such, it's assumed that Jesus is telling her to repent of her sin, change her lifestyle, leave the man she's with and stop all of her sinful ways. After all, didn't he then later say in John 8 to a woman, go, sin no more? So that's the traditional reading, the one that I've heard and that perhaps you may have heard. And it may, be, it, it may be right. But there are a number of things in the story that don't fit well in reading it that way, especially if we pay closer attention to the original context in which the story takes place. To try and hear it in its first century world, rather than if it were taking place in our 21st century world. And if we notice some of the detail John includes that doesn't usually get any attention. I want us to see whether some of the assumptions that have gone into the traditional reading are exactly that, assumptions, rather than what John actually says, especially assumptions that are actually very judgmental towards the woman. I also want us to be viewing this woman through the lens of Jesus to pay closer attention to how Jesus actually interacted with her and how he treated her. In this case, someone who was in a despised category of people, at the bottom of the heap in that category, a woman with no husband and a string of apparently failed relationships behind her. To see whether Jesus is actually not harsh or judgmental to her, but instead, he's full of dignity, compassion, and loving understanding. So, as I shared earlier, I have two small people who are three and two years old. And my husband, Josh, and I, we quite often end up giggling together at the very, very cute things they say to us. So, a couple of months ago, I had a very long conversation with Benji in the car, who asked me who Lily's Wi-Fi was. So Lily, who is our kids' pastor and a dear, incredibly dear friend to us, uh, is actually one of Benji's godmothers. He was insistent that he needed me to tell him who Lily's Wi-Fi was. I had an inkling he actually meant wife. So I explained very carefully that Lily is Jack's wife. But then he continued to ask me who everyone we love's Wi-Fi is. It was all in good humour, and we definitely laughed about it for a while. But there are times like that where we read situations differently to how they're intended. 
like when Elodie tries to tell us something very early in the morning and we haven't yet tuned into kind of two-year-old speak, or when Benji is trying to get us to understand who indeed hit who first. So just like having to put on different ears to listen to my kids and their perspectives, I think we need to view the story of the woman with an alternative lens. We need to see Jesus as the central character in it. If we're to see what this story is telling us about the nature and the character of God, who he is and what he's like, which many would say is the main purpose of all scripture and especially the stories about Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just tell people good news, he was good news. And the ways in which he was good news to people then, like this Samaritan woman, are telling us the kinds of ways that he wants us to, that he wants to be good news to us today and how he wants us to be to others when we all inevitably find ourselves in scary, lonely and really, really tricky circumstances in our lives. So let's look again at the key points in the traditional reading and see whether they have been drawn out of the story or whether some of them may have been read into the story. So the first thing to give far greater attention to is the fact that Jesus went into Samaria. It wasn't something that any good Jew would have done and they would have been totally shocked that Jesus had done that. Why would Holy Spirit lead him to do something like that? So it's a shock number one in a series of shocks, and especially to the religious people listening. It's the first step in making clear that God's invitation to the kingdom is to everyone, no longer just Jewish people. And it's an invitation to the most unexpected people as well. The second thing in the traditional reading is that this is a promiscuous woman with a shocking back catalogue of short-lived relationships. And if we read the story as if it were taking place in our 21st century world, it will come across that way. With a 21st century lens, we'd assume that maybe this woman had jumped from man to man. And that could be true, but we don't actually know that. Life expectancy was far lower than it is today. Maybe some of her husbands died. Men were generally much older than the women when they married. Famine was common and people died due to malnourishment. The woman may have been widowed because of war. She may have been married to men who were soldiers who had died in battle. And in that kind of patriarchal society, men were able to divorce their women at their choosing if she no longer pleased them. And if a woman had no man, no father, no husband to support her, she was in deep, deep trouble. She couldn't do what we would do to kind of get a job and become finally financially independent. She had very few choices left in life. She couldn't leave an abusive relationship without risking lack of funds, food and protection. She might have to support herself or her children through prostitution. And really, we have no idea why this woman found herself in her situation. John doesn't tell us. But there's an empathetic way to read about her story, which is kind and understanding to her as a human being. And in terms of, living, of her living immorally with a man who's not her husband, maybe she would have loved to have married him. Maybe he wouldn't marry her. She suffers the shame 
as a strong survivor of living in a world where men held all the cards. And it's too easy to assume that she is where she is because she has made lifestyle choices, as an independent 21st century woman may have. Why might this be a kinder way of reading into what's happening in this woman's life? Well, one good reason is because Jesus didn't condemn her. He doesn't say, go and sin no more, as he could have done. All he says in verse 17 and 18 is, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus spoke facts, not condemnation. The word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit was a power encounter to get her attention, to show her how he cared what happened to her, not a way to expose her of her sins. How often may she have been exposed by others? Jesus just came to her. So what about the reason that she was at the, at the well at noon, much later than any of the women in the village who would have all gone there together early in the morning? Some say it's because that she'd been shunned and that they wouldn't have anything to do with her. We hear in verse 6, it was about noon. That, that's all we know. Nothing about the weather conditions, nothing about what time of year it was, but the heat of the midday sun in the middle of summer is assumed to be the reason, a time when none of the other women would have been round to shame or ignore her. But what if she'd been to the well already earlier with the others and she needed more? Maybe her children had knocked over the jar and it had spilled. Maybe they were just extra thirsty that day. Maybe she wasn't feeling well and woke up late. All that John tells us is that she came to draw water. Maybe her going to the well at that time on her own was actually arranged by the Holy Spirit, just so she would run into Jesus on this particular day. So let's look at some of the things John tells us from verse 28 onwards. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. None of that sounds like shame or judgment from her community. It sounds to me like she was a woman that they listened to. So that was then, but this is now. What's this story saying to us where we are? What's the story telling us about Jesus, about what he's like, and how he thinks about people, reaches out to people, and welcomes people. I'd like to suggest three simple things, and I'll close with this. The first is the significance of her being a Samaritan. They were supposed to, they were supposed to pose a threat to religious purity. They were despised. Jesus didn't just tolerate them. He went to them where they were and invited them to become a part of the kingdom as they were. Jesus doesn't say he'll accept us once we've changed and put right everything in our lives that falls short of what everyone else expects. It's knowing we're accepted by Jesus as we are that makes us want to become everything that he wants for us. The second thing is that Jesus knew the woman's story and he knows our story. He knows how life is for us. 
Our life circumstances don't disqualify us from his love or his grace. In fact, he's full of understanding and compassion. No amount of shame, loneliness, trauma or pain is too much for Jesus. We don't even need to have the correct beliefs figured out. And although he already knows our story because of his omniscience, he still wants to hear our story, to draw close to us, just us and him and spend time with him. He's ready to come into our space and our pain and our history to do that. And the third thing is something for those of us who maybe lack confidence. Did you know that there are more words spoken by this unnamed Samaritan woman in John's gospel than by any other person except Peter, who Jesus said would build his church? Jesus was full of encouragement for women, and he's full of encouragement for all of us. She's the reason the Samaritans in the town believed in Jesus when she went to tell them her story. It's why Jesus didn't just pass through Samaria, but he stayed with them for two days. That's another big shock right at the end. The story starts with Jesus breaking all the rules and it ends with him breaking all the rules, all for the sake of his people and bringing them into his kingdom. So many people would have found that utterly horrifying. So let me ask you, are you willing to accept Jesus into the bits that are scary, that are painful and that are messy? Are you willing to let him rewrite your story while meeting with you in your history? Are you willing to take a small step in letting him in? Or are you ready to be like Jesus was in this story? Are you willing to ask Jesus to show you who the Samaritans are in your world, to invite them to become full participants in his kingdom as they are? To trust him with the really tricky stuff and be willing to make the first move? Who are those on the periphery that don't live like us, that don't look like us, that we need to reach out to as Jesus did? Are we willing to create safe spaces in our church, in our workplaces, in our homes, to make it easy for people to be part of our community and our family? As they are, to allow Jesus to meet with them in their chaos or their isolation. Make room for Holy Spirit, to move gently and powerfully in the hurt and the brokenness and the unknown. Use our own testimonies for others to see his kindness and his goodness. He meets us where we are in our familiarity to renew us and send us on. Are we willing to be there for ourselves and others like the Samaritan woman was at the well?